Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Business Aspirin. I'm your host, Clint Janelle. And today I have with me Andrea Stenberg from Pure Light Power. Uh, Andrea, how are you this morning? Doing pretty well. Pretty well. Good. It's uh, early here, but I'm awake. And it well. is early there. And I am like amazed that you jumped on so early. And I really appreciate you jumping on early. Where? Tell us where you're at, Andrea. I am in Grants Pass, Oregon right now. So that's the southern side of Oregon. And um, it's about 7 a.m. So still a pretty awake, but I really do enjoy the Northwest. If you've never been there, it's a really great place to visit, especially Grants Pass, tons of trails, lots of historical spots. I love it here. Yeah. So beautiful up there too, right? Like one mm-hmm. of my partners and our lead developer on JobDocs, which is one of my businesses is uh, from that part of the world. Uh, and it's so pretty up there. Right. And it's just oh. like, I, I would love to be able to spend more time up there, but it's a long way from where I'm at. It's a, it's a, diff- that's a difficult journey. It's a difficult travel from Texas to Oregon. Um, oh, yeah. So it's really interesting, right? And we have a, a good friend who his son, we're partially a hockey family, and um, his son played for the Portland Winterhawks. And so oh, they would they would have to make that drive, you know, a couple times a year going back and forth when, when it was season to kind of deal with getting him up there and some of that. But uh, what a journey. Yep. So, well, welcome on. Uh, we're glad to have you we have listeners that are all in on trying to gather information from the Business Aspirin podcast about what little pieces of information can we gather from these conversations that might help us in our business. And so tell us a little bit about Andrea and and Pure Light and your restoration background and all the things that are you currently. Awesome. Well, so I started when I started working, I was uh, I was like, I'm going to be a nurse. So I got jobs immediately into hospitals and I did all the kind of those service jobs and worked my way into the clinics portion of it and decided "Mm, maybe this wasn't for me after all. I love patient care and I have all the respect in the world for people who can do that. But my goodness, 12 and a half hours on your feet, dealing with people sick and dying. That's a piece. So it's very common that I've, and I've run into a lot of people that will come out of high school or come out of college and they got this one thing on their mind. They got a college degree ready to rock and two years into it. They're like, Ooh, this doesn't fit well. Um, when I, I kind of accidentally fell into restoration in 2014, um, they were hiring a position that was kind of like their bare minimum part-time. And, um, that year they got hit hard with a crisis level freeze that took out most of the West coast. And, um, Hey, you want more hours? You want to be working out in the field a little bit more? I was like, bring it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) A strong liking for demolition. I mean, it's just 
it's one of those things where you don't really expect it coming from the idea of being clinical to like tearing homes apart, um, working in the middle of the night, you know, water's raining down on you. There's mold, there's <laughs> things floating by that we won't mention on your podcast, but you know, yeah, I, mean. no, I know exactly. What you mean. Like, <laughs> it's the thrill of it. It was addicting, exhilarating. I'm very much enjoyed every bit of it. So much so I started just reading every book they had in the building about restoration. I wanted to know everything. And I got to the point where I did start to know a lot more about my position and I became more valuable as a leadership person. Um, I was training people without even thinking about it. I took a lot of pride in watching people grow based off of working with me. You know, I could take somebody, explain things really well. I'm a gesture. I don't know if anybody yeah, ever watches your YouTube, but they should because they'll see lots of hand motions, signals, you know. But I like to explain things in a way that people can relate to. And then, of course, and when you work in blue collar industries of any kind, you have every age, race, creed, you know, all different backgrounds all across the world. Sure. Very diverse. And so being able to train all of that different type of culture and diversity can be quite challenging. I mean, sure Absolutely. Especially, hate to say it, but it's it, it's a it's the elephant in the room. Especially being a female in blue color industry, sure. Sure. it's a huge one. That was a big portion of my overcoming for my escalation into my position, and safety kind of just came natural for me. So, when I was making my transition from um, restoration into solar power, um, I found myself into a safety position because being in disaster restoration you're literally just walking around hazards all day long. Absolutely. Yeah. All well, day. Safety issues. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It, be, it get this natural ability to kind of look at a room going, okay, what's going to kill me today, you know, and that's a horrible thing way to think, but sure. you have to, it's, sure. it's how you, have, you don't know what happened to that building. Right. Um, what was in there before is now 10 times worse. And that kind of got me into that whole realm of, well, OSHA is there for a reason. Every rule they've made is not because they want to, but because someone died for it, you know, or someone lost a limb for it. And I started really getting myself immersed into the safety side of things and made that great transition right into solar. Okay. And then, so they brought you on, like, were you safety certified or like you were just safety conscious and they brought you on directly as a safety person? Yes. So I was talking about how that worked. Yep. So there's a lot of different ways to get into safety. Safety is very challenging to get into in some areas. Um, most people require a bachelor's degree. You know, they're like, if you want to sure. be a safety officer, you got to have a bachelor's degree. Um, I had a tremendous amount of experience and a lot, a whole armful of credentials for certifications because I never had that time to go to college. I was a single mom. I was working a very demanding job, but I worked directly with OSHA officers all the time, you know, people that yeah, have protections sure. and help me. I would be calling OSHA saying, help me, you know? Yeah. Like you need to come in here and take a look at something that's going. Oh, yeah. I don't I know what I'm looking that. at. <laughs> and then things yeah. have changed and they were wonderful. So working with them directly gave me a tremendous amount of experience. So I went, walked into that interview with Peerlight and she had talked to various people there. I was, very much tenured into all the lingo and what needs to be done. She's like, so if you show up and you're this, this, and this, I'm like, Oh, that's a good day. <laughs> yeah. Simple. Like I can, I can do that. Yes. And so it was about two hours of conversation and not, and just me talking about safety and all the things I fell into. I was a chairperson of my last, my last company and yeah. um, 
I just fell into it. And it was really great because safety was something that was pretty passionate about because I've seen people get hurt. Sure. I've watched somebody fall off a roof. You know, I've seen people crack their heads open. You know, it's just, uh, you know, yeah. my, my yeah. goal and my day, everyone goes home the way they came in. You know, they're tired, yeah. they're dirty, sure. they're sweaty, but they're intact and they're sure. safe. Sure. And I think this is an important conversation, right? Especially for our listeners that are part of um, the, any service industry, right? If they're an HVAC contractor, if they're a plumbing contractor, if they're, you know, a restoration contractor, which is what I am. I grew up in the plumbing HVAC world and then transitioned into the restoration space. Like what you said was you kind of just fell into it as an accident. I don't know that anybody intentionally gets into restoration. I think we all fall into it. I'm not Definitely. sure. Like it's one of those things and then we can never get out of it. You just keep fighting to be away from it and it is what it is. But I think safety is important. I think our guys can get a lot out of listening to someone like you and being able to go, okay, wait a minute. There's are things to think about. We've had projects where we've had people like, you know, on, on commercial roofs that the commercial roof collapsed with no indication that it should have and, and have fallen and have passed away. Uh, we've had some injuries. Uh, we, we support a foundation that in Dallas is, is part of uh, the Dallas Fire Department, or not technically part of the Dallas Fire Department, but it stemmed out of the Dallas Fire Department, where one of the uh, lieutenants actually was on a roof on a structure fire, and it collapsed on him, and he got tangled in it, and he passed away in the fire. And so there's a lot of, for me, there's a lot around safety. I, I don't know that I believe any of us ever actually do it well. Like we do it at some level um, and we could always do better. I don't know if you would agree with that statement or not. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, you know, there are things that we do. We try to be smart about it. At the same time, a lot of the guys in this space have been doing things the way they do things for years. So you hand them a respirator or gloves or whatever, and they still don't use it. And myself included, unfortunately, like I don't always do things the way I should in the restoration space because we're in a hurry, right? Or whatever the case may be. And and things to do and like to be to be transparent you know some of these projects are freaking hot and you have a tyvek on and a respirator on and you can't breathe through all of that because it's miserable and you're you know it's it's difficult so what would you say in regard to buy-in on safety like how do you get people to buy into a safety program or a safety protocol so that one's challenging because if you ever meet safety people in blue collar, there's usually a general trend that that person that got into the safety as passionate as they were experienced a a loss of sorts. They've either seen someone die or they're walking up and they're missing fingers. Um, For me, I tell my stories. All right. And I, you have to have a story to relate to your people, right? Um, One of the biggest things that I've noticed is there's that people, there's a people that are like, I've been doing this for 15 years and never had an incident. Or I have somebody who's in their late (laughs) twenties, who's like, I used to do as my dad. We didn't wear any of that garbage. I've been, I've been, I don't, you know, I'm bulletproof ultimately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I was that person in my twenties. It was true. I, people would hand me more and more safety gear. I'm like, what, you know, this is just slowing me down. This is hot. It's uncomfortable. I can't work with this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. And I tell people, I said, the reason why I started working with it, cause I had to watch someone get hurt in order to be inspired to wear it. You don't want to learn that way. Yeah. Having that candid forward conversation with them that this isn't stuff that we're making you do just because 
And a lot of them are like, oh, stupid OSHA or stupid rules or whatever. It's like, no, you trust me. When I, I had the same idea, I started wearing mine because I watched someone get hurt. I watched sure. someone, I mean, I worked in an ER for nine months and I've watched people walk in there with rebar sticking out of their neck. You know, it's not unheard of. And especially in a small, smaller town, seeing these things happen on a daily basis, um, watching roofers up on a roof with flip-flops, no shirt, no fall protection, nothing. And then you read in the paper three days later, somebody fell off a roof yeah. and they died and yeah. they were 27. It's, yeah. it's kind of, yeah. we get kind of numbed out because of how often it's happening. Um, safety culture is something that you cannot let go of. You can't just have a safety meeting once a week at 6 a.m. when no one's awake and just say, okay, did my part. It's inspecting what you're expecting from people as far as if you set that standard for safety culture, like we're going to be safe today, guys, and, and explaining yourself and getting to that point where you're very transparent with why and staying on top of it, it becomes their natural reaction. If you ever watch loggers, have you ever seen a logger walking around without a hard hat on? Never. No. Never. No, because it became routine, right? It's, it's they, part they, of their they, culture. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something that's they automatically do. They roll out of bed, hard hat. It's just yeah. natural muscle memory, staying on top of people, building those, yeah. those things. They don't even feel comfortable on the roof without their harness on. They're like, you know, I feel naked without my harness on. That's where you want to go. And it's a lot of work to get them there. Sure. sure. So in that case, what have you, like you're telling the story is what has gotten people to buy in. That's what your primary thing is. Yep. Is there, yeah. is there a story you would feel comfortable sharing now? Oh, sure. <laughs> Mine. Okay. <laughs> my favorite story. When I was in the demolition mode, I, 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 I hurt myself so often I would even get drug and alcohol tested. They were, and they would always be surprised when I came up negative. And I was like, why are you guys thinking? I'm like, cause you, they're like, cause you're a tornado, right? You walk in somewhere and they, they even nicknamed me the Hulk at one point because I would take to just kicking stuff down. Instead of, yeah. Instead of using the tools. I'm like, it's easier to just grab onto it, rip it off the wall or kick it down. My thing was I was sitting in an ER room getting my, scalp glued back together one day and I thought, Hmm, I probably need to change something. This is not good. I'm going to get hurt really bad one of these days and I have got to do something different. Um, so- I had at that point even cracked my own hip bone. I had fallen backwards. I've ripped open skin and it so took did, me. What happened to the scalp? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the scalp. What happened? So, and that was the dumbest thing. So the, usually these accidents aren't happening during something rigorous or knowingly right. dangerous. Right. Because pay attention then. Yeah. yeah. Subconsciously, you, you recognize that things are dangerous and that sure. so you're more hypervigilant. I was bending down, picking something up and didn't look at my surroundings. And I threw my head up and I hit a box, like an electrical box on the wall, right on my head, right there. Now, this was a building that was falling apart. I should have been wearing a hard hat already just because of how bad it was, <laughs> but I wasn't. And I threw my head up, hit the electrical box right in the corner, just immediate psh, blood everywhere. And I, my poor crew, I was the leading, I was leading that day. So they had lost productivity and a mess to clean up. Thanks to me, a hazmat one. And they were all, you know, we're a day behind now. And then I'm sitting there at a clinic, you know, making it, that's, that's a recordable at that point, the poor company has to pay for that. And I'm just oh, bleeding profusely from the head with glue going in and losing a chunk of hair. And I was like, man, 
I have got to start just doing what they say. There's a reason why there was a sign on the door that says hard hat required. Sure. You know, there's just nothing but dangerous things on the walls. And I was, I was only going in for a moment too. I was only there for an hour. I'm the, I'm the project lead, you know, like I don't need to wear that stuff. I'm not going to do anything. It's an entire different realm of, I empowered my people from there forward. If you ever see me walk in a building, I'm not wearing an N95 or a hard hat or the right gloves or a Tyvek even when it's required, call me out. And I would reward them for this. There's nothing more empowering to an employee than rewarding them for taking that extra step and caring for the safety of themselves and others. So I was so very thrilled when someone would call me out for not wearing my PPE. Or yeah, so I think that's important too. Like we need to talk about that. So, because that's one thing that might in fact help others buy in on this deal is look, we're, we're asking you to be safe. We're asking you to help your partners in crime be safe with you. We want everyone to be safe. So if, if you see something, what we want you to do is encourage them to correct it, but we want to reward you for helping them correct it. What, like, what kind of reward would you suggest to someone right now? In a lot of cases, these are small companies, right? So it's yeah. not like they can do a massive bonus, but what would be something that they could do to reward an employee who helped make sure someone else was safe? So it's kind of a battle, but it depends on the individual. You have to know your employees. You really do. Um, you have to get to know them well. A lot of the companies will even do a personality test right up front and ask them, how do you like to be recognized? Like, how do you, what makes you feel gratified in your job? A lot of people will say, oh, you know, I love, I love receiving personal cards, personal thank you cards. Others will like, I like an announcement. I like, if I do something right, I want everybody to know, right? Nothing wrong with that. They just have a lot of pride in what they do. Everyone's different. Other sure. people say, I like getting like a souvenir. I like some swag, a hat or something with the company name. Yeah. You know, really getting to know your employee because what will work with one person where you go, hey, company, we just had someone right. do a great near miss catch and they come and that'll make one person feel good and the other person go, oh no, like yeah. I'm going to do that again. I don't like being recognized in my company. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Understand you need to know your employees and take that extra moment. If you don't, because especially those that have a lot more employees are thinking, you know, I have over a hundred. What do you mean? Yeah. That's what your supervisors are for. Going to that supervisor going, hey, you had an employee that did a really good job. You know, they made a good catch. They were thinking about safety. I want to recognize them for this. Sure. And then talk to the person who does know them makes a big difference. Um, I've encouraged this with a lot of directors. So they're like, there's no way I can get to know everybody that deep. And I'm like, well, some of them can and some of them can't, but I understand, you know, then who does know them? Oh, well, the, their supervisor knows them. I'm like, go talk to them, you know? And it's really important that it's individualized because that goes the extra mile for that individual too. Feeling anonymous and not measurable. You know, if everybody's ever read Three Signs of a Miserable Job, it's a great book. You need to read it. Okay. But it's not wrong. When they feel anonymous and immeasurable, those are things that are like, if you're doing something that makes them uncomfortable, they're like, man, they don't even know me. If they would have known me, you know, the, the creating that mentality of care is infectious. Safety kind of goes hand in hand when you bring a culture of knowing and caring and keeping everybody not anonymous or immeasurable because it just builds on itself. It gets to that point where people want to do things for you because they want to do things for you. They genuinely do. They care deeply. 
even if another company comes in and says, I'll pay you $2 an hour more, they're like, heck no, I love this company. They care yeah. about my safety. They, they, they know, know who I am. am. Yeah. Yep. And they customize my preferences to what I, so I want to do this for them. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I like that. And I like the fact that it wasn't, you know, hand them a $50 gift card. <laughs> no, it's because not. Because the reality is in a lot of cases, <laughs> it's not. Manager. It's not monetary. It's not what they're looking for, right? Um, monetary not. isn't necessarily their. A lot of people think money is important to them, but it's really not their top five uh, things and importance in life, right? So they believe it is initially, but I like that you're saying, hey, give them a pat on the back. Understand your employees. Understand who you're dealing with because we've had employees and we've done some trade profiling on ours. So we have employees that don't want to have a conversation with anybody, right? They're very content to yeah. just like, I've got this job and I want to be here and if somebody comes in and talks to me, I'm going to be polite to them. But that's uncomfortable for me. And then I'm distracted on what I'm doing. And so, yeah, getting to know your employees is significant too. And, or whoever works closest with that person, supervisor, whatever, to know them and understand what, what is going to benefit them the most in regard to helping us be safer. Right. And I know there's lots of companies that we deal with it, you know, 372 days without an accident board. Right. And some of those mm-hmm. things. And, and that's great. And I, and we might encourage that at some level. I don't know what your feeling is on that. At the same time, I'm like, I want to be for forever, right? I don't want it to be like, and maybe that helps, right? It's like, okay, we don't want to be it today. And when, we don't want it to happen today when we're here. We don't want to be the one that has an accident. And, but I, I think that is part of that culture and the safety conscious side of things to make sure that, you know, people are paying attention to oh, sure. what they're doing. Yeah, Absolutely. It's a mixture of things. Accidents are indeed accidents sometimes. I mean, it's not, there are times where you can rip it layer by layer because look at the weather, the circumstances, were they distracted? Were they, yes, 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 yes. Those are all factors, but it's still a genuine accident. It was never negligent or malicious intent that they got hurt, you know, or or even them being lazy. You know, it's just one of those, they didn't sleep well. They had too many energy drinks. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, even here, like a factor that just made that day uh, different. We, we won't, not really marketing for anyone because I switch all the time, but I have them. <laughs> I get it. I know how it goes. That's going to be your only one today, I hope. Yeah. Well, you know, hot maybe. <laughs> so and that's the funny thing about it right here. So Dallas right now, it's important that the teams work in pairs. I shouldn't have yep. anybody going anywhere by themselves right now unless they're going to the convenience store to get a drink or something. Right. Because it's so stinking hot. And, you know, I've had incidences in, in a past life where I was doing mold inspection uh, and remediation planning for companies uh, as a consultant. That's one of the things I did early on prior to jumping into the restoration space. Honestly, that's what moved me to the restoration space was I knew how to do all this. And so I remember being in an attic in a Tyvek suit with a respirator on, we had communication devices inside and I had a person that was with me and I was trying to get the investigation wrapped up, but it was, you know, summertime. Um, it was in Brownfield, Texas, which is near Lubbock. It's, you know, it's a, a hot, ugly, gross environment, mm-hmm. right? Tight attic space. And I, I knew I needed to get some things done and I knew I was getting close to being in trouble because I just knew I was sweating. It was hot, it was miserable until the point that I got started getting cold. Right. Um, yep. And so then I'm like, Oh, I'm in trouble. And I'm trying to now work my way back out, but then you got to be not panicked and still get out, not fall through the ceiling. But mm-hmm. I knew the guy that was with me wasn't going to be able to drag me out of there. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, I got to get out. Uh, and it's an, it's an interesting environment where you have to make some decisions to be safe on some things. And the reality is at some level, part of the safety equipment was part of the problem. 
uh, right. that made it much more difficult, but we've got to figure out what's the threshold. And maybe we should have had better protocols in regard to amount of time we could spend inside the space. And, you know, right. knowing monitoring thresholds, hey, if it's between 100 and 120, you get this much time and 120 to 160, you get this much time and, um, and, and maybe establish those kind of things. So you do a lot of hands-on training safety-wise with your teams, correct? Correct. So let's talk about that, going into the field, evaluating uh, teams, not... How do you evaluate and then how do you correct without blah, 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 right? Like you guys yeah. are stupid. Don't do this. Stuff. I can't believe you're doing that. But let's talk about how do we approach that as business owners, entrepreneurs, managers? What, what would you suggest? So, I mean, again, it depends on your level of camaraderie if you're a team, because sometimes I've seen managers go out there, tell them like, don't be a bunch of jerks, you know, like put your sure. stuff on. And then they're like, ah, okay. You know, and they get to that that level so like but one size doesn't fit all if right. i went out there and didn't know anybody and was like hey you jerks put on your stuff they're like who the heck is it <laughs> and again that's part of knowing your team right know your team yeah but so the the simple answer is this though you don't treat people like children even though they a lot of what they teach for managers to teach people is you know if you have kids you're like oh wow you know that i did this with my kid it's difficult sometimes to remember you're dealing with skilled professional adults, regardless of their age. I mean, you can have a 19 year old out there and he's still a skilled individual and he's not a child anymore. Um, he may exert, he might be using the forklift as a skateboard one day and you're like, ah, ah, you know, that's probably an age thing, but not necessarily. I've seen the guys in their fifties do it too. It's difficult sometimes to remember that we're not talking to children. We're talking to professional adults that we respect. We have that mutual respect for um, identifying that there's an issue. So when it comes to safety, it's a little bit more curt and address. So if you see someone actively doing something that is very dangerous, it's it's okay to kind of get that. Hey, you need to stop now. You know, make that authority voice go on, especially for a manager. Resist the urge to make it a big thing, though, as far as going, bah, 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 you know, like start lecturing yeah, sure. immediately kind of takes away from how serious you are. Actually, if you say, get, you know, discontinue activity, I need to talk to you, come talk to me. No name calling, no belittling. I mean, just make it very serious. The more professional you are in that moment, the more they're like, oh, darn, like they're serious right now. If you start kind of like gesturing and like, Meh, you know, like making it kind of silly and or informal or just blatantly lots of swearing, you know, it just kind yeah. of takes away from the gravity of the moment and then explaining to them. Cause again, this, you're not a boss that that word is so bad. I, I hear it all the time. Like I'm their boss. This is what I do. I'm like, no, you're not. You're their leader. You're going to be the one that's helping them. They are your customers. You talk to them like they're your customers and you know them. Well, you work with them every day. You can sit out in the shop and, you know, talk the way you talk for your camaraderie side. But when it comes to their growth, you need to be very professional and try to keep the emotion out of the moment, which is really difficult. And I totally get it, especially in that Texas heat. Whew, I get yeah. emotional. <laughs> but it's it gets so to the part where you're like, that's a problem in itself, right? And you're like, oh, the heat never ends. And, you know, yeah. there's emotion involved. The time emotion. Yeah, for sure. I want to I want to grab on the part of what you said, because you said, you know, go ahead and immediately get their attention and correct. Uh, yes. But then you said, grab them and pull them aside. And so a lot of managerial documents will say, hey, praise in public and reprimand in private. Correct. And I think there's truth to that. At the same time, 
if somebody's doing something they shouldn't be that's dangerous, mm-hmm. at least it needs to be, in my opinion, public enough to, hey, we don't do that, so that the team around them sees mm-hmm. and goes, well, okay, what was happening? Okay, yeah. yes. Okay, we're acknowledging we don't do that. You can bring oh, them right. down. You can have a separate conversation with that person. And then if it leads to needing a team conversation, hey, guys, don't do this, right? Don't, don't do right. these things. And don't don't stand right next to the forklift that has something with forks fully extended that might fall off mm-hmm. on you. Why are you standing there? Let's yeah. not do that. Why are you standing with your back to something that where they're manipulating contents in vaults overhead where you can't even see what, like, I don't understand why we're doing some of this. And so communicating privately, correcting, reprimanding, but then potentially as a team, but not in an environment where you're t- attacking an individual for what they've done, fix Correct. it for their safety, but don't attack them. Uh, that's yeah. what I'm hearing you say in regard to that. And I, and I like that. What are, let's see, is there something specific that you can tag onto that says, Hey, this was one of the best safety training steps we've taken. Like, oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. So I, I mean, not to toot the horn, but it's true. Um, my transition to pure light power was shockingly awesome. I mean, coming from a, the blue collar industry in itself. Um, when I made it there, I was like, wow, they are very much safety conscious. They take, they don't, they don't, they spare no expense and they have all the controls and they administrative controls, engineering controls, every form of PPE you possibly need to get the job done safely. They provide, correct? But they're so massive. You know, there's hundreds of people. So it's hard, you know, it's for especially a newer company to keep that accountability on top looming and, keep that culture tense. So that's why they hired me. You know, they can kind of push that culture and remind people. So it's not um, redundant information. Um, One of the biggest things I noticed they started to do is um, when you think about training people, you got to think about more of a modular training in a sense that you're using mixed muscles. It's kind of like when you're working out, you don't want to work out the same muscle every single day. So if you sit there and you have a safety meeting once a week and you read off a paper like this once a week, no one's hearing you anymore. You could ask them the next day, what'd you guys talk about? And they're like, uh, yeah, it's just noise at that point. Right. And it's not it impactful. Is. Sure. So with this company and then a couple of the companies in my past, they keep it interesting. Keeping fun in the workplace is not a bad thing. A lot of people are like that's productivity loss. No, it's really not. It's keeping that, that, mix of um, attention and care and fun in the workplace is not going to make them more accident prone. So making a video or for me, I've taught ergonomics once I was wearing a light up cape, you know, people were watching my arms and stuff moving around, just anything to keep it interesting and fun and different. Um, Putting a poster on the wall, eventually nobody sees the poster anymore. You can have like a poster that says employee laws, which is what we do. No one never reads it. No one. You know, and every now and then they might glance at it and be like, what's the minimum wage this year? And then that's the last time, the first and last time they're going to look at that poster all year long. Sure. It's really important. One of the best things I ever did was working with a company and making it more interesting, going from PowerPoints, videos, um, in-person training, documents, making it fun, making a game out of it, just keeping that interesting flow of things. And I know that's a lot that's difficult for some people, but that's what Google's for. I can't tell you how much I've used Google to give me ideas on how to make things more fun. It's, and it doesn't have to be the this, this subject matter. If you know what your subject matter is, you can convey it in a way that keeps it interesting and keeps it 
a different muscle that they're working that day. Get them up, get them off the, off the seat, get them moving around. Uh, some of, some people hate that. They're like, please, no, don't make me move. But it's important because it keeps them attentive and it makes it a different environment for them. What's your cadence for safety meetings? How often are you doing safety meetings? So at Pure Light, we do those weekly. Um, a lot of people do them monthly. Uh, other people do them quarterly, which is, mm, that's a little bit far apart. We do weekly. Um, and a lot of people won't do them at all because they're just doing the bare minimum of what OSHA wants. It's either, well, if you have a safety committee, you don't have to have the safety meetings. Like, ooh, <laughs> that's not yeah. exactly helpful either. Sure. Safety meetings are really important. And then anytime you have a, a moment with a group of people, it's important to talk about safety. So yeah. we don't just isolate it to that one moment. If there's something that happens, oh, we had someone who slammed their hand in a car door. We're going to talk about that. We're not going to wait. We're going to say, hey, everybody, like, please don't be grabbing the frame of your door when you're closing your door. Please don't do that. You're going to slam your hand in there, you know, without using names and calling people out and shaming them for making their life decisions. We, t- we choose that moment to, like, make an announcement, keep safety sure. top of mind. Sure. I mean, I love this conversation. I'm trying to look through some of the questions that I had in mind and kind of figure out what, you know, makes the most sense. Uh, in your case, like business aspirin is about dealing with business pains and yours is literally pain associated with bad decisions. In some cases, it's split open scalps, right? So <laughs> like, I, I like the information that we have. I like what we've talked about. Is there like, what's your biggest right now? What would you consider your biggest success or your biggest challenge or both in regard to safety? And this is the, the hardest pill to swallow with safety is something I had to accept years ago because that people say, if you could talk to yourself years ago, what would you say, you know, like tell yourself to kind of let it go. There is no such thing as perfection. As much as we'd love to see <clears throat> no accidents, everyone's healthy, happy, no one ever gets hurt, you know, knock on wood, whatever you want to do. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to get even a splinter is going to get infected. You know, someone's going to get stung by sure. a bee, you know, but there's just things that happen and it's, just as painful every time and never gets any easier. So the one thing that is the most difficult part of my job is it does not get easier. I'd never have acclimated to people in pain or that have been injured ever. And I think that is actually very beneficial for my position. When you care about something that deeply, you don't lose your passion for it. It just gives you more drive. It's more fuel. And you don't want that. You you don't want to have the more, the more drive based on people's pain and suffering, but I have never acclimated to somebody getting hurt. I know that a lot of people can, I and mean, even nursing staff when I worked at the hospitals would be like, meh. Yeah, yeah, but it's the same. At their coping well, it's, it's similar, yeah. like in the, rest, in the restoration space, it's very similar to us walking into a you know, decimated structure from a fire mm-hmm. where a civilian or citizen that's never seen that's going to be like, oh my gosh, we at this point don't have that effect anymore, right? It's like, oh, right. okay. How do I need to address this? What needs to happen? What are the safety issues? Those are kind of things that we look for, but it's not, oh my God. Um, so I can see how on a safety perspective, the people can lose some of the, well, somebody gets hurt. And, you know, we have, we have some guys that like are frequent flyers, right? It's like, they don't have to, they'll go home and it has nothing to do with work and they get hurt every day doing something. You're like, oh my God, right? Like, how does this, how does this happen? Um, and so you just kind of see that as, I, I, I will attest to the fact that sometimes I get numb to it. Right. I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. Yep. Um, and it's tough to keep the safety going. Well, I I'm excited and encouraged about your passion and what you're doing in regard to trying to maintain safety within your organization. And 
being able to think through and come up with new roles and new rules and new processes for uh, implementing safety and navigating some of those things. Uh, we might have some interesting follow-up conversation in regard to like what what you've put together that you might be willing to share for some oh, of our sure. listeners in terms of documentation and safety programs. And um, and we have some of those too, for everybody listening, we have some safety programs that we can would happily share. And, you know, some things that we do that, you know, we're trying to, you know, we, we require our employees to back into their parking spots um, because there's been a study in the oil field that indicated that you're more alert and aware when you arrive somewhere to be able to mm-hmm. park in than you are when you leave that place. And so uh, in an effort to try to avoid the distraction when you're pulling out, we, we require everybody back. Well, you don't necessarily have to back in, but you have to be able to pull forward when you leave, I guess, really okay. is our requirement. So, you know, if you can pull through a double parking spot and still be able to pull forward when you leave, great. But just some of those things, which are little bits of safety that we've implemented in, in ways and rules that we're trying to do. So we guys, we have some of that. Uh, Andrea, I think you've got some things that maybe we'll be able to share and attach in on the podcast uh, documents later, um, be able to, you know, kind of do that and um, make some things available to our people that will help them and 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 do mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Is there anything else that you want to say that we haven't just kind of brought up in this conversation? Oh, yeah, I was waiting for that question. <laughs> I'm number one thing for anyone working that's kind of in that management role, owners or whatnot. Most of you, if not all of you, have insurance. You do. You have insurance on your business um, and workers' compensation, L&I, whatever you call it, is part of that insurance. You have a tremendous amount of resources right there. Insurance companies want to help you. Uh, one of our my biggest resources where I've learned the most was calling my company's insurance coverage and saying, hey you guys do any programs or, and they're like, Oh, you want some programs. You know, it never hurts to just kind of reach out to you, the resources around you. You are smothered and covered in resources, going to conventions, networking with each other, your vendors, your contractors, whoever you're working with, keep that open channel of communication with them, build that relationship. They have so many things they can help you with most of the time. And, And bringing that up in some cases, they actually offer discounts on your policies based off of implementing some of that that they've put together for you. (laughs) Like I know um, we had a fleet safety program and they asked us for that program. They reviewed it and they said, Hey, if you'll do this, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and it was, you know, it was a fine idea. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and if we did that, we got an extra credit per driver for something in regard to our fleet and it was well worth doing that. So that's a great point. And I appreciate you saying that. So yeah, like reach out to your insurance carriers and, and ask them, Hey, what safety programs protocols do you have that you can provide to us as well that we can, cause they'll white label that stuff for you. In most cases, they're handing you something that you can drop your logo on and Mm -hmm. do a name replacement search and put your stuff together on it. And it makes a huge difference in what you're you're doing. That's a great, that's a great point, Andrea. And I really appreciate you bringing that up. I think we've got great information. Uh, I know we've gone a little over the time that we had committed to, and I appreciate you staying on and being with me and kind of navigating all this. It's great. And we may have to follow up on a round two at some point to get more of this information out, but it's been great. I've enjoyed it. Everyone, thank you for being with us today, Andrea, uh, with pure light uh, and power. We appreciate you being on as well. And uh, we'll talk to you sometime soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye, everyone. This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.